0: We're in Revelation chapter 9, and this is going to be part 7. Tonight tonight we'll do part 8. Actually, uh, chapter 9 has been our main, how should I say that, our our main text for this entire series. I've not stayed there too much, but actually when I started putting this series together, there are a couple things I wanted people to see about the torments of hell. And, and as I got into it and got into it and got into it, this sermon that was going to be one has ended up so far, uh, well, seven t- today and eight tonight, probably at least two to three more, if not more than that. So uh, that's just uh, the way the Lord leads and that's the way it happens, okay? So uh, we are on this, but God's final call, how apropos, because we have to realize God may use one of us to deliver the final call to someone. And by that I mean to give them the last chance to receive Christ as Savior before that day. Well, in Revelation chapter 9, we'll just read the first two verses. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. Now shall we pray? Father, as we look at your word today, thy spirit has to teach us and show that this is a reality. When people have a tendency to think in Minds of science fiction, this is reality. And so, Father, I pray that you'd give us the heart, the vision that Christ has for mankind, because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, Lord, I pray that this message would speak in a very special way to hearts, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now, in the course of this series so far, I've we've been talking about Hell, that's not the eternal lake of fire, by the way, at the end. We find out in Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, sometimes, again, I've clarified this, but just to clarify another time, death. The word death does not mean ceasing to exist. It's never meant that. Adam and Eve, they partook of the fruit. And the Lord said, in the day that ye eat thereof, you shall surely die. And that day they did die, not physically. We know that Adam lived over 900 years. But they died that very day. And how's that? Their spirit was separated from God. Remember, God is a spirit. The Bible says that clearly. We don't even have to argue with that. God is a spirit. He created us. We were made in his image. Is his image a body? No, God is a spirit. Jesus did not have a body until 2,000 years ago. Until then, he dwelt as the Son of God, as a spirit. When Adam fell, and we being his progeny, then we were born with his nature. His nature was a sin nature. We were born spiritually dead. That means that we too would be headed to that uh, place called hell. But Jesus Christ became a man. 2,000 years ago, he took on flesh to pay the penalty for our sin. You know, one of the things that is so often overlooked about this is simply a thing that is easy to to miss, and yet it's right there shining before us. Jesus Christ is going to come back and and He's going to rule here a thousand years on the earth in the millennium. Uh, Brother uh, Woodard was teaching that in our uh, class, our Sunday school class this morning, did a very great job on it, but just, just thinking that He's going to sit in a body ruling and reigning there. And then... At the end of that thousand years, Satan, who has been in this place called hell, he's been chained there for a thousand years during this reign, is suddenly let loose, he goes out, he deceives nations once more, they surround Jerusalem, and they are soundly destroyed. And then comes the white throne judgment of God, where everyone who has died without Christ comes before that throne. But what's interesting to me is as saved people, we rule and reign with Christ. And the thing that we miss is simply this. Christ had to humble himself greatly to take on a human body, to become flesh and blood. But understand, we're going to have a body when we're caught up to be with Him, we're going to have a body fashioned like into His glorious body. One of the sacrifices is a sacrifice of love, but one of the sacrifices we don't realize that this God, who is a spirit, also would give Himself to have a physical body throughout all eternity. And He would lead us who have received Him as Savior. And He will teach us. And we will have a Word of God here that's forever settled in heaven, and a Word that we'll always see and learn more from throughout all the time of eternity. So, yes, we have a great God, but understand, death and hell. What was hell? Well, there, there was that fire down there. We'll say more about that as we go on here but death and hell from that great white throne is cast into the eternal lake of fire. Those who die without Jesus Christ will find their spirit. If they die today without Christ, their spirit will leave this corruptible body. It'll go to a place called hell. The place in hell back in the Old Testament era before Christ rose from the dead was made up of Abraham's bosom, also called paradise. Then there was a great gulf that no man could pass. You couldn't go from uh, paradise to to hell, which nobody would want to anyway, nor could they from hell come across that gulf. There's something about that gulf that it cannot be crossed. Hell was where the fire was. Uh, the, The rich man said, I am tormented in this flame not just the heat of the flame, torment. The rich man was not in the body that he had on earth. A person dies without Christ, you will not be in hell in the body that you had on earth because this body, put it in a furnace, it's going to burn to ashes. The Lord forms a body that will last in hell feel everything that this body could feel if it was in fire feel everything this body and this spirit could feel whether it was a torments the torment of hopelessness or whatever it will be able to feel that and yet not cease to exist not pass away never escape the time to escape eternity in damnation is while you're alive in this life but if Jesus Christ is not received then that will never happen for you. After that place called hell, there's a place that's even worse for that. It's also hell. Use the Greek word, though, for when it refers to them, Tartarus, the place for fallen angels. They'll be tormented there. You see, the world paints a picture of the devil, his devils standing around with little pitchforks with red, and they've they got a tail, and, and they're tormenting people in hell. That's not the Bible. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. It was prepared for them. It torments them. We'll see more about that as we go on. And if it will torment super spirits, then think of what it does to our merely human spirits. Inhabitants of this place called hell that is there now will one day be called up to a white throne judgment. and From that white throne they'll be cast to the eternal lake of fire. We told you last time, what's the difference between the fire of hell, now the souls go to, and the one for eternity, the lake of fire, that the souls there in hell are going to be cast, along with all the torments of hell, going to be cast in that lake of fire. And, and I just said that probably the best way I could say it the lake of fire is hell on steroids. Okay, I think that that helps us understand its worse In hell, as I said, it's not the devil's. Why? Because Revelation chapter 14 and verse 10 tells us the Lamb of God and His holy angels that are doing the tormenting. We saw some of the present torments that a person in hell goes through right now. There's hopelessness. And those guys that have made fun of it and said, well, if I go, I'm going to be there with all my friends. We're going to have a party. They'll find out there is no party in hell. They'll never cease to exist, but they'll, they'll desire to, to be able to end it all, and they can't. By the way, on suicide, you never end it all. You just end every chance to do something about it. That's all you do. You never end it all. It's much worse after that. I began this series just to look at these torments here, as I said in Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 through 11. And we're going to get started on those uh, this morning and on this evening the rest of the sermons. But, What I want for us as Christians is to capture the heart of Jesus Christ in this, the heart of His Father in this. For God, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I told you, Jesus existed throughout eternity past His Spirit. He communed with the Father. The Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost communed together throughout eternity past, even before there was a creation. He's the eternal Father because Jesus always existed, and the Father always existed. It wasn't until 2,000 years ago, though, that Jesus took on a body because in the love within the Trinity of God, and the Trinity is three divine persons in one divine essence. But the Trinity of God, in the wisdom, the foreknowledge, could see that man would fall. And God, in the person of Christ, became a man. He subjected himself to what we're subjected to. When nails were driven, he could feel the pain. When his black back bled from the beating, he felt the pain. He knew what it was to go through what we go through, and yet he still had the power within him to say to Peter, I could call 12 legions of angels right now and take care of this place. But his love kept him from doing that. Why? He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He said in Ezekiel, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. His desire is that all men would repent and come to the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. And so, he has entrusted to you and I who are saved that responsibility. of the saving gospel being spread throughout this world. It's interesting to me that Israel in Exodus was told that they'd be made a nation of kings and priests. When we think of kings, we think of ruling and reigning with Christ, but priests, what do priests do? Priests intercede to God for people and speak to people for God. He wanted Israel. That was the call on Israel to take a saving God, God who saves, to the whole world of their day. They were the anointed nation. One day, everything in what we call the land of Israel now is restored to them totally, not as man has restored it, as God restores it. But they had a thing. But we are also... Called priest of God, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 and verse 9. You and I are are priests of God. We have that same responsibility to carry the saving gospel to a lost and dying world. And so we must implore men to receive Him as Savior because that final call does come one day. Someone might ask: Well, can a person really know that they died, that heaven's their home? Well, understand, God does not lie. This Bible is God-breathed; every word comes from His lips into the heart of each writer. Writers did not put down their words; they put down God's word. And He says in First John chapter five, verse eleven through thirteen, and this is the record. In other words, this is official. This is the record that God hath given to us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. But, understand what he means by that. He that hath the Son hath life. He must be received for you to have him. He must be received as your Lord and Savior. He that hath the Son hath life. But then he adds, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You've not received him as your Lord and Savior, you don't have eternal life. You can have religion without having eternal life. Religion won't save you. Church membership won't save you. Only Jesus saves. And so we read in verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, believe. You ever hear people that get involved in investing and doing other things? And they say, I put all my eggs in one basket. And we know what that means. They didn't go out to the chicken coop and get a bunch of eggs out and come there and put them in a basket. No. We know what they're talking about. They were going to rely on everything. They put everything up there. Everything. When I come to Jesus Christ, I am trusting his death, burial, and resurrection. Therefore, I'm saying I'm giving him my life. I'm giving myself to him to be my Lord and Savior. He's in charge, not me. He's my God. He's my Lord. I'm giving myself to him. And in return, because God does not lie, he is giving me everlasting life. But my friend, I've got to come to it. Now, a lot of times... We as Baptists, we've been the most guilty of this, I think. Sometimes we say, if you'll say this prayer, you're going to heaven. You can say all the prayers you want to, but if you're not giving your heart and life to Christ, that prayer doesn't mean anything. He must be received as your Savior. You must say, I'm a sinner that deserves to go to heaven. Do you realize that not one of us will ever merit heaven? When I stand before God, I am accepted, Ephesians 1, 6, in the beloved. I'm accepted in Christ, not my merit, not my righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's how we're accepted into heaven. We are accepted in him. So he says, (coughs) excuse me, he that hath the Son hath life, he that hath not the Son hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may... No. How do I know? that You may know that you have eternal life. How do I know that? Because I know my God doesn't lie. I received him as my Lord and Savior. My God doesn't lie. Therefore, I know I have eternal life. And that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. When you believe on something in that manner, You're relying on it. That's all the eggs in the one basket. I'm relying on Jesus Christ for the salvation of my soul. He's given me His Spirit as the earnest. You know, that's another thing about it. You put down an earnest on a house, but you don't come through with the payment, you lose the house. But if you put an earnest on a house and you pay it off, then you got it. You don't pay it, you lose the earnest. The the earnest money's gone besides that. You know what? When Jesus saved me, He placed, and this happens to anybody that gets saved, He receives the Spirit of God. He is the earnest. For you to lose salvation, the Lord has to lose His Holy Spirit, and He's not going to lose His Holy Spirit. That's eternal security. But because I'm his now and I'm his child, it's just like, boy, I hope the people in certain places aren't listening to this right now. The people my age group, when we had children growing up in the house, there were days that they did not want to sit down. There were days that they wanted to lay down on their stomach. There were days that uh, left precious memories, (laughs) you know. But I'm saying that those things, because they were my children, were to help them to do right, to follow the direction they should go. They were my children. I'm God's child when I received him. The Bible says that he chastens his own and he scourges Scourge means to flog with a whip. Chasing is sometimes what we did with our children. Take that garbage out now, or you'll have to die to get better. Okay? Now, we, we know the kids know when we get serious about it, we, we rebuke them. Son, you really let, you let me down today. Well, that's hard. That's hard. And what I'm saying is, is that when we say these things and we do these things, we need to understand. Oh, we need to fully understand. We're in His hands. He will chasten us if we've received Him. But you know what? I don't want to be saved just so as by fire because I'm in His hand and secure. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. thou been faithful in a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many. Oh, it's great that I know that if I died today, that my spirit's going to be with the Lord, not in that place called hell. That's been reserved until the lake of fire. Been tormented down. I won't be there. But I don't want to be saved just so as by fire. Oh, He gave us life, and life more abundantly. And so, that you may know that you have eternal life, you may believe on the name, the Son of God. Now, when we looked at this last week, we saw a star fell from heaven. We told you the star is an angel here in our text. This angel is sent by God. We must remember that uh, the tribulation. Is not Satan judging the world? There's some teaching that today. They say, well, Satan's going to do the first half and God will do the second half. No, no. Satan will be busy in the tribulation because he knows how soon his time is up. No, this is God pouring out his judgment on the earth. It's not going to be like the final judgment at, uh, of the seven years at Armageddon. It's not going to be like the final judgment of the lake of fire, but it's going to be judgment. And he's going to be judging the world at that time. He will use uh, nature, he'll use sickness, lawlessness, and a host of other things. People are upset about what we're seeing about riots in the cities and the major cities and all these places and people getting killed and buildings being burnt down. That'll seem like a Sunday school picnic compared to what happens in the tribulation. You need to understand that. This angel is given by God a key to the bottomless pit. He sees that Jesus has the keys of hell and of death. We read that in Revelation 118 last week, that he has the keys of hell and of death. Death, they're down in hell right now, those that died without Christ. That's the first death. Remember, Revelation 20, 14, and 15, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Whosoever was not found written in the uh, book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Why? The man in hell today, just like you, just like me, he was born with a spiritually dead spirit. His body is alive, but his spirit was dead. Adam, the day he sinned, was separated from God. Separated right there. He was separated from God the day he sinned. That is his spirit. He could pray to God, commune with God, and receive the promise of a virgin birth coming, although it be at least 2,000 years after that. but he could put his faith looking ahead to the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus was not procreated like you and I are. The Father formed his body over his spirit inside the womb of Mary. Some say, was Mary sinless? No, and Jesus went to a sinless world, but Mary was the best vessel to carry him. She was blessed, the Bible says, and she is. But understand that after Jesus is born, he is tempted, he is tried, but he never sins one time. Oh, what a Savior who endured it all for us. Well, the man in hell he has entered the first steps of the second death because there will never be any hope for him. He had a chance in this life, but now there is no hope for him because it's going to be cast into the eternal lake of fire. But even that rich man in hell wanted souls to be saved instead of coming to that place. We read, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just, he knew no sin. 2 Corinthians five twenty-one says, he, he that knew no sin became sin for us. That is, he took our sin upon him, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What he is, is righteous. I'm accepted in the beloved. And so, we read again, the just for the unjust. We never will be those who will somehow deserve salvation. We don't merit salvation. We don't deserve salvation. Salvation is an act of love, the love of God, far beyond what we could understand in this mortal flesh. So for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just, the unjust, that he might, for the unjust that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. Well, the ark was a preparing the light figure wherein to baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, not dunking us in water. That's not what he's talking about. He makes that clear. Oh no, no. He says, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. Why do I have a good conscience when I know I'm a sinner? Because I've been cleansed by the saving blood of Jesus Christ. And I know that in Christ I'm accepted in the beloved. Oh, what a wonderful promise and truth that is. And so, as a result of his bodily resurrection, it says, who, verse 22, There from 1 Peter that I'm reading now, he says, who is gone into the heaven and is on the right hand of God, Angels and authorities and powers been made subject unto Him. Angels, powers, and authorities been made subject. I thought He was God. I thought those were already subjected unto Him. But you see, you've got to understand. Yes, they are. In His deity, His Spirit. But when he took on flesh, he did not lose his deity, but his flesh operated not only in obedience to the Lord's commands, but also with a human spirit. And that human spirit, that spirit of God, through His death, burial, and resurrection, ascending on high now, even the spirits have to be subjected unto Him. Now, the good angels in heaven, they love it. But Satan and his minions know they can't do anything without His permission. Therefore, angels and authorities been made subject unto him. And, and by the way, let me just say this at the right hand of God, in that day, they would have understood this completely because when a person sat at the right hand of a king, he was, he was next in authority, his prime minister. I mean, he, he was right up there. Jesus was already there, but because the Jews hated him. When he said, I and my father are one, he made himself equal with God. Why? Because he is God. But the great thing is, even in his humanity, he obtained the keys to hell and of death. Even in his humanity, he's at the right hand of the throne on high. Even in his humanity, that we're going to have the body fashion likened to that wonderful body of Christ. Oh, the glory of it all. And what does he ask of us in return outside of receiving him as our Lord and Savior? Spread this same gospel to a dying world without Christ. Why? They'll hate me. They won't like it. They'll make fun of it. They'll mock me. They'll scorn me. Why? Well, the lover of my soul's sake, that's why. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten Son. That whoever believeth in him, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so he, by death, burial, and resurrection, not only conquered death and hell, he went down and he preached to these spirits in prison. There There are already fallen angels that are chained there. I believe he preached to them. Abraham said to the rich man when he said, send Lazarus, he said, "Uh, remember in your lifetime? I think Jesus is reminding those guys that are there, they had a chance. They are also spirits in prison because they'll never escape. Wow. They had a chance. I believe in my lifetime, God has given me some second chances in Serving him in work and various other things. And there are some people that have heard the gospel the first time and didn't get saved. It was down the road that they received Christ. But God doesn't guarantee many chances. That's why we read, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. He is risen, and he is risen indeed. And so he gave him a key to this angel who's going to unlock a pit, and we're going to see a torment that often is overlooked. But see, Jesus obtained the keys of hell and of death. So it's his to give, to one, to trust. And by the way, the key. Why would he say the key? Oh, it's very important. And I want you to return tonight and hear the importance of key, the key. It's very important. It really meant, people in the Bible days would understand what the key meant. We, we kind of lose it in our day, so much different. The key. but Right now, the most important key is, is that he has the keys of life and of death. If you're saved, you have responsibility to use that key to open the door of salvation. The Bible calls it turning others to righteousness, just kind of like in Revelation chapter 3, that church at Philadelphia, there was a door that was open and no man can shut it. And he can shut it and no man can open it. Right now, you have a key and that door can be opened to any lost soul that'll come to him and walk through that door to receive Christ. But with that key, there's a responsibility. If we don't unlock it and take people through, those people are in an eternal lake of fire. And their blood's on our hands. Yet, he wants to save your soul. He loves you if you're not saved. In a moment, I'm going to have a hymn of invitation. I know this. Jesus himself said, you come to him, he would in no wise cast you out. He said, whosoever, whosoever believeth in him. We read in the Bible that there were those that had been murderers, harlots, thieves, drunkards, and on down the line that turned to him received him, and he changed their lives. He gave them everlasting life. And he can do that to you today. Let's bow our heads, please.